first article we had was related to metaverses. So obviously metaverse is probably one of the most commonly used buzzword in blockchain right now. And you probably have heard it even on your traditional TradFi news channels. It's being used by everyone to the point that Facebook actually changed their name to Meta um, to kind of signal their move into that metaverse uh, realm, I guess, which is in the next phase of the internet, if you will, if you believe in the whole Web3 movement. Um, so the article actually mentioned, they said that the word metaverse came up seven times in investor pitches in 2020, but in 2021, it came up over 128 times. So obviously you can see the growth there in the word just being used in pitches. Um, in 2021, it became a commonality basically to throw metaverse into your pitch to try to bring on investors, it seems. Um, and they said the the market size for metaverse right now is around 150 billion in 2021. Uh, but PwC or, or PricewaterhouseCooper projected that by 2025, the metaverse market size will grow to around a half a trillion. And by 2020 or 2030, it should be in the realm of $1.5 trillion total market. So obviously this is a large market that is growing quickly. Um, we all are aware of the metaverse, but one thing the article mentioned is the issue it's facing with interoperability. Um, we've talked about that in this show quite a bit, and that's basically the ability for blockchains uh, to communicate across chain. So that would be where, you know, where Ethereum and Bitcoin could communicate across chain, where you could send Bitcoin to an Ethereum address and vice versa, and they'd be able to handle it. Um, that is not the case right now. And that is actually what is hindering a lot of these metaverses. Um, you can do a lot in a metaverse, but it's closed. They don't have the ability to communicate uh, to other metaverses. So for Horizon World, for example, with Facebook, you couldn't transfer your assets over to, let's say, Axiefinity or to uh, Decentraland, these other metaverses, because they, they don't communicate. There is no interoperability. Um, and that is becoming a an issue as these businesses face this conundrum of do we try to close off our metaverse and take advantage of this monopolistic structure, or do we take advantage of the network effect and have a large group of people all coming to one metaverse where we can try to take advantage of the customers that align with us. So that's probably the long-winded explanation for that article. Um, I just wanted to get your opinion on it as well, as I know we've talked about the metaverse quite a bit on this show. Yeah, it just brings me back to our convo about open and closed metaverses and what like the people prefer. And I definitely think that we prefer open metaverses where you know they are kind of interoperable, where you know, you buy a shirt and, you know, metaverse one, and you're able to transfer it over and wear it in a different metaverse. But while you were talking there, it kind of, you know, shone a light on it that the web two companies like meta was obviously the first one to move their name to meta. And they're investing $10 billion just this year in their metaverse. I don't think that web two companies goal is being interoperable at least right away because they're investing all of this money into their own product to try and get that market share initially so that i mean i'm not going to compare like the metaverse to like the iphone but if you think about it like it's definitely just going to have different iterations and more growth and capabilities down the line so i'm just thinking like you know green bubble things like everybody's going to want to be hypothetically in meta's metaverse you have to have an oculus to start and i mean those yep. are 300 bucks and then 
you know, in certain games, I know that you have to buy NFTs to be able to start to play. And I mean, those could be, you know, anywhere from maybe, you know, five bucks to, you know, 500, a thousand bucks to start. And mm -hmm. it really seems like they're building more walls than they're providing solutions right now, which I guess makes sense because they're just trying to build a viable product that the public wants. But I would really like to see a push into, you know, being interoperable. And I understand that, like the one of the examples in the article is, you know, say buys a Gucci shirt in Metaverse one that's, you know, supports realistic looks and cloth physics and so on. And in Metaverse two, they or you know, more retro pixelated blocky avatars. It's really hard to make that item interoperable. So you would just have to make two of them. So it, it's not the right answer, but it's a workaround for right now. But I don't know. It seems, you know, obviously it's going to be a big thing in the future. I would think with all the money being invested, I don't really see how it can flop at this point. But um, yeah, well, definitely interesting to see where it goes. I, I certainly could see how it could still flop, but I, I do agree. And you made an interesting point there. A lot of these Web2 companies have this. I mean, they're, they're, they're in this weird situation where they they have investors, right? Like they have a fiduciary duty to these, in, these investors to essentially make them money and do what's best for the company. And to your point, what is the benefit of a Web2 company allowing an open metaverse, right? You're basically just giving up market share in, in, a, in a way. So I can see where a lot of these Web2 companies are struggling with the idea of why would we even care about interoperability? We want you in our little world you know, consuming our content, consuming our ads, seeing our products. Um, why would we want to bring anyone else into this? And that's that's a question that we're going to have to figure out because you're right. The users are aligned, I would think, in wanting an open world where you can go from one uh, metaverse to another, bringing all the items and characters that you've purchased or built up in you know one metaverse. But the issue is they don't necessarily, the companies don't necessarily want you to be able to do that. So it's an interesting problem, and I wonder what type of things we can come up with as consumers, as well as companies, to make it so that it is enticing for people to, you know, open up their metaverse or allow others to come into theirs. Yeah, and I mean, it's honestly probably going to have to be like a kind of profit sharing thing at first, where like, you know, Facebook, Big Daddy or Meta takes 80% in a little mom and pop NFT shops or, you know, metaverses get 20% or something like that. Because I don't see how you can go, like you basically have to have two equal, uh, you know, metaverses to be able to genuinely grow together and not really, not care about the money, but caring more about the user base and the growth. Whereas, yeah, like you said, like Web2 companies are, they need to show that they're making dollars so that their stocks don't drop, as we saw with fucking Netflix. But um, yeah. that's a whole nother discussion. Really is. That was pretty wild. But I think uh, with that, though, I, I think we're in agreement here. Uh, I think the users want interoperability. But from a Web2 company standpoint, it doesn't really necessarily make a lot of financial sense, at least currently, until we can find ways to to make it more profitable for these companies to open up their world um, and allow people to kind of uh, interact between metaverses rather than just in one. Um, but yeah, so the next article we had was related to blockchain gaming, which again, we've been talking about quite a bit here on our show just because of how popular it's become. Um, and your article pretty much supports that, that theory that it is growing at an, ex an extremely fast rate. I think it was 2000, 
percent year over year. But you can go ahead and kind of get into that and kind of talk us through what's happening that's gr- causing this much growth. Yeah, definitely. So this article was uh, thrown together thrown together by Oliver Knight, who got most of the info from DAP Radar. I've actually been checking it out um, on DAP Radar this morning, but the title is Blockchain gameplay increased 2000% since Q1 of 2021, coming out to right around 52% of all blockchain activity. Uh, So blockchain games attracted a little over 1.2 million unique active wallets this last March. And even Axie Infinity was responsible for 22,000 of those, even though they had that $615 million hack on the Ronin Bridge a few weeks ago. There's been a significant rise in popularity and play to earn NFT games on the Ether side in particular, but the popularity on the Ether side is not equal throughout the crypto space as BSC and Ronin chains have dropped off since the end of 2021. And the assumption there is they're trying, like, you know, players are trying to minimize their risk on the more volatile chains. Uh, Ronin's native apps have been on the decline since before the hack, peaking at around 55,000 in January and down to 22,000 in March. So I was seeing some people say that it was specifically because of the Ronin hack that gameplay was down for them, which isn't specifically true. Um, What's interesting is across the sector, a little more than 2.5 billion of funding was raised in Q1 of 2022, which is already over 60% of the total raised in all of 2021, which was right around 4 billion. Um, I think we brought this up earlier, but Animoca Brands was among those investments, raising right around $360 million at a $5 billion valuation. And last month, Sequoia Capital led $450 million into Polygon, which we covered on the podcast. And I mean, like Max Kem brought up in the first episode, um, the market's going to be enormous. It's some financial institutions estimate the decentralized metaverses to be at least $8 trillion in the next, you know, 10, 15 years. And, you know, they're evolving. It's not just you go in and you start playing games. There's, you know, Sandbox Alpha Season 2 just came out. Decentraland hosted a fashion week, which, you know, got a lot of eyes into their metaverse. But um, Max, what are your thoughts? Have you uh, have you dabbled in the blockchain gaming? A little bit. So the for me, I'm I used to be a big big gamer, right? Back in the day, I used to love playing video games. Played them quite a bit growing up, even throughout high school, college. Um, even after college, I still game a little bit. Just find myself with a little less time. But with blockchain gaming, I really haven't participated much, and that's only because right now there isn't in my eyes, a ton of great games to play. It seems like they're kind of at the beginning stages of blockchain gaming where they're kind of using the basic concepts, basic game loops um, to really show proof of concept more than anything. And so that's really cool to see. And I definitely can tell that the, the, the gaming industry is moving towards this blockchain type gaming. And the games have improved quite a bit over, I'd say, the last even six months in terms of the number of games you can play in Web3, but also the quality. So I definitely see the growth happening and, and totally understand the sentiment around, you know, the X number of trillions this market size will be in the next, you know, 5, 10, 20 years. Definitely see that. But for me to start actually participating and really utilizing these these games and this technology, I'm going to have to see some real games that you'd see on like Xbox or PlayStation, these, these really, you know, high 
quality games that you don't really see right now in Web3. Right. Yeah. And to your point, I remember, you know, five or six months ago, there was one specific game that we were all trying to try out. And we all basically had the same experiences. Like, yeah, we loaded it and the UI was horrible and we couldn't figure out what to do or how to play. So we just closed it down. And like last night, like Meta Racer, I don't know if you've played that. I think that's uh, UST based. Um, but I was playing that for like two hours just because it's like a super old arcade type game where you just use the arrow buttons to like drive. Um, and I mean, that was that was pretty fun. Uh, I know that they hold races and stuff, but that's really the only one I've been able to play. I tried getting on uh, the Orbium Wars the other day, but I've got a Mac OS operating mm-hmm. system. So I wasn't able to play that, which was kind of a bummer. Because um, that mean, one was think... actually one of the easier ones for me to get running on my computer. And then also what actually reminded me of a game I'd play. The Tower Defense. It's a Tower yeah, Defense game. And it was yeah. one that actually was like, similar to what I've seen in, you know, prior web games, web two games. Well, I mean, that's literally, I've got the uh, flashbacks of you in college at a party playing that fucking game on your phone, the tower defense game. But um, <laughs> oh, that's why I wanted to play. I think talking I about Clash of Clans. Type, yeah, Clash of Clans, because I, uh, I dig those type of games too, but I'm about to buy, you know, a different OS so that I can start really getting into these games because it seems like they're, they're definitely growing and they're going in the right direction. But yeah, it's going to be, it's it's hot right now. It's only going to get hotter. I feel like NFTs were hot in, you know, 2020, 2021, and maybe this mm-hmm. is the year of blockchain gaming, but we'll see where it goes because I've got a lot of hardcore gaming buddies that, you know, play on PC, and they are not a fan of uh, the crypto space coming in and trying to change things. And that's kind of what I was talking about earlier, like the barrier to entry, like most games like that we're used to, it's you buy, you know, a $50, $60 game. And you can play that for two, three months and not get through all of the content in it. Whereas right now, like you may need to buy a $250 NFT and then say you lose your guy and you have to buy another one. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's going to take some time to get used to what is becoming the new norm. Exactly. And that's the thing is I think we're still trying to figure out what that is. I think right now people are okay with, you know, the idea of buying a $250 NFT to play because the, group of people who are participating right now already have are used to that type of expenditure in crypto right like some people who've been using ethereum that's that's just gas so it's not that big of a deal Uh, but yeah to someone who's a traditional gamer like myself i remember when they started upping the games to 65 dollars you know 60 dollars to buy a standard xbox game i took note of that because it was starting to get out of hand so i can imagine to a traditional gamer seeing 200 300 to even get involved and that doesn't even count buying anything in game. I can see where that maybe cause some concerns, but definitely we'll get there. We'll reach a happy medium. Yeah, exactly right. The market will eventually kind of find its its balance um, because at the end of the day, I think bl- blockchain gaming does provide something really cool, and that's decentralization, right? And in the idea of governance, where you could have your your player base deciding how the game is shaped and how it's developed, rather than a group of executives who may not fully understand um what their customers want so exactly couldn't have said it better myself yep well i think we're uh running up here on our time but hey i appreciate you joining in for another daybreak crypto episode um and we'll see you guys on monday for another riveting episode on who knows what happens over the weekend so see you all monday have a good weekend boys